Welcome to the Next Level Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hitchcock. The Next Level Leadership Podcast exists with you in mind. It exists to raise you to your next level of leadership. This week, we've got a great and exciting show for you. We've got Charles Sandville, otherwise known as the Humble Mechanic, who's going to be with us this week talking about how we can affect change in and around our environment. This is an exciting episode. It was a great interview, very thorough interview. It's something you do not want to miss. Well, it is great to be with you once again, as always, Josh, another week. Another week, another interview, another fantastic one. I was really excited about this interview. Josh, would you agree that it did not disappoint? It's a very, very thorough interview and a lot of knowledge, right, that was shared. And, um, you know, I say every week we're going to leave here better than we were before. And and I I believe this, that that even with uh, this particular interview, if you listen to it from start to finish, you're going to leave better than you were before. Yeah, Josh, you know, we were excited about this interview. Uh, as you know, Charles will be a keynote speaker at this year's annual convention for service managers and technicians within the Christian Brothers Automotive brand. That's what we call Mastering the Difference. That's the name of the convention. And uh, this was a great interview that I think that the entire audience is going to get a lot out of. I totally agree. A lot of, a lot of great nuggets were shared. So, so enough about us. Let's jump right into the interview right now. Charles, if you will... Tell us about your story, where you started, where you're at, and and maybe where you're going. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of unknowns in that uh, in, in that question. But traveling back in time, what feels like 50 lifetimes ago, uh, I worked a lot of retail, uh, weirdly like sporting goods retail. Ended up getting a job at a CarMax selling cars. And that was kind of where my, my foot in the door of the automotive industry really started and met a couple of the guys there that were going to trade school. And I was like, man, you know, I, I really don't want to work retail anymore. So decided to take the plunge into going to tech school to learn how to fix cars. And, um, I ended up not really being able to afford it. So it took me about a year to save up the money to even just like, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but to like put the down payment on going to tech school and uh, sold everything I owned, sold my car. I didn't have a car for like four or five months while when I was in uh, tech school, sold all my stuff and uh, really, really made the sacrifice and the commitment to, to go and give it my all. I mean, when you sell all your stuff, the, the pressure one puts on themselves to do a good job is pretty high. So kind of kind of went all in on going to tech school. And it's probably important to note, I had no idea really anything about fixing cars when I started tech school. Like, you couldn't probably have picked someone that actually did know less about fixing cars than I did. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I really had to to up my game and, and put in the extra hours and put in the extra work to at least feel like I was keeping up with, with the peers around me. So that was a one year program. And at the end of the program, I had the opportunity to train manufacturer specific training. Uh, I decided to train with Volkswagen and thought that I had about a 50, 50% uh, chance of, getting a job local. So I started that training and then they told me there was no chance. So we, uh, we kind of threw a dart at a map and ended up moving to North Carolina, um, 
<laughs> it's funny, like, whenever I tell this story, I think of, like, man, you did a lot of stuff with really very little forethought in it, and uh, it, it, it worked out, right? It, it ended up working out, but um, we sort of threw the dart at the map, moved to North Carolina, a place that I had never been to, short of flying down for my job interview, and my wife had never been to at all. So we, uh, two weeks after I flew down for my job interview, we packed up all our stuff and moved to a place we didn't know anybody and had never been and started my job at the dealership in early 2004 and did the dealership thing for geez, 13, 13 plus years and went through, went through all the stuff, right? I was, I was the newest new guy you could possibly be again, very little to no experience actually working on cars professionally outside of trade school and put in the work, put in the effort, made master tech was the shop foreman unofficially for many years, officially for a couple of years and sort of, I don't know, 2012, I guess could see that there was an opportunity for a service department to have an online presence. So Jesus was 10 years ago quite a bit different landscape than we have really today. But at the time, the only automotive online presence really involved car sales, right? And there were terrible things like, you know, five ninety nine a month and come buy this blah, blah car. And really, I felt like what happens in the service department was far more interesting and educational to the average person than, hey, come buy our car. Or, hey, we got a deal on an oil change, right? So I wanted to show people a couple of things. One, the stigma that you're going to get ripped off by a mechanic or a tech, it, it's out there, but it's not in the numbers that I think a lot of people believe, right? Everyone, everyone you probably ever encounter has a bad mechanic story. And I wanted to sort of shift that mentality of like, most of us are just, hardworking, like we really care about our customers. We really care about their car. We want you to be happy. Like no one likes paying to get their car fixed. <laughs> I mean, nobody, nobody ever thought, Hey, I can't wait to pay for that oil change today. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really wanted to shift the, the mindset of customers and it really did start in the building that I worked in and then, you know, wanted to expand that out. I also wanted to help, young technicians really find their footing. Um, this can be a really tough industry physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Um, and I wanted to help in any way that I could, you know, I was, I was able to have a pretty positive impact in the building, but that's self-limiting, right? I, I, I felt like we could do better on a bigger stage. And so I, uh, set out to do all those things for the dealership that I worked for that lasted about two weeks. And they hired a company that uh, could give them spreadsheets and graphs on how good they, the company was, but I didn't lose that mindset. Right. I, I kept up with the, this is a story that needs to be told. This is something that needs to be shared. So I kind of flew under the radar doing it anyway. And uh, hence humble mechanic was born that day, many years ago. And uh, yeah, I've just been, trying to keep that same vibe went hardcore into video production in late 2014. Our daughter was born early 2015 and early 2017. I did the thing that everybody told me I should never do. 
and that's quit a job that I really liked that paid well, that had all the benefits and paid vacations and all that stuff uh, with a what, one and a half year old. And now I do this full time. So Charles, I imagine that that had to be a, a scary transition, right? Because there's so much unknown and uncertainty that comes along with it, but you had a mission you were poised to live out that mission, right? And so you recognize the opportunity to create a positive buying experience for guests, but also to uh, groom and help uh, up-and-coming technicians uh, in their own career path. Um, I got to ask you, though, before we get into leadership and, and the perspective uh, from a technician, where did the name The Humble Mechanic come from? <laughs> it's, it's sort of not what people think, but it, it, I guess, kind of is. So when I was a very young technician, um, I was super fortunate to have a couple of really good mentors at the dealership that I worked at. And um, this one dude really, he, he ended up kind of being like that grumpy old dude that's just like full of wisdom. And when you can get past his grumpy old dudeness, uh, he, he was actually a, a great, great influence on me. He's like, look, dude, you're smart. You're going to be really good as a technician. And then about the time you got some confidence under your belt. There's going to be a car and it's going to come in and eat your lunch and serve you a big old piece of humble pie. And while I can't remember like what else was going on at that exact moment, uh, I remember that conversation very, very vividly. And I was like, you know, that's, and of course, like two weeks later, that exact thing happened. And I had to work on a tour ad for like three weeks trying to figure out what's wrong with it. So he, uh, he, he was spot on about it. And, um, you know, really coming up for a brand name is, is challenging and not something I have a lot of experience on. So I just kind of landed there and it, uh, and it, uh, it stuck. Awesome. I love the name. I love how there's a story that correlates with it. Um, I think we've all heard the, the term humble pie before. And, um, so being able to yep. tie it uh, along with it, I think is, is, uh, is incredible. Move on to the next question then, uh, Charles, and that is, Talk to us about leadership. You know, this is the, the Next Level Leadership Podcast. Uh, we want to know what it looks like from an automotive technician's perspective. If you, if you can speak to the leadership from an automotive technician's perspective. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think w when we think of leadership in general, we think of kind of the, the higher up, right, in a hierarchy, whatever that means, uh, service manager, shop foreman, lead technician, team leader, whatever it is. Um, and that's a vital part of it. But I actually like to first kind of step back a little bit and think about the individual leadership for yourself, right? If you don't have that, you're probably not going to be super successful in anything. Can you pause there a minute? So and sure. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but I think you just no. highlighted a critical point that I want everybody to, to just kind of hone in on. So it, leadership starts with leading you, right? Is that, yes. That's what I hear you're, you're saying. A hundred percent. So I think about it this way. Like when you were in high school, you had a teacher like fussing at you. You got to get your work done. You got to get your work done. You got to get your work done. Right. They're leading you into whatever it is they're trying to do a good grade, pass the class, whatever it is. When you move up to college. Now I spent two classes of like real college and the rest was trade school, which was much better for me. Anyway, you don't have that professor or the instructor down your throat about getting your work done. Their mindset is you chose to be here. I got people that care and want to do a good job. So those are the people that I'm going to focus on. If you don't want to do the work, that's fine. It doesn't change the temperature of the water of my pool. So what is required in those classes where you don't have instructor, professor screaming at you to get stuff done is your self leadership, your self motivation, the drive that you have in you to be successful is, 
is what gets you there. And it's the same thing for a technician, right? You can go in and go through the motions, but odds are, if you're not putting in the work, you're never going to be that technician that you desire to be, right? Whether that's a high-level diagnostic tech, whether that's turning a bunch of hours, whether it's, you know, focusing on NDH or oscilloscope stuff, like, you have to have that in you to be successful. And until you have that in you to be successful, you can't have a positive influence on anyone else. I always start there, right? It's, it's about me being a good leader to myself first. Once I have that locked in, and this is a, you know, a forever ongoing process, at least hopefully anyway, um, now I can start to look outside of my own little tiny circle of me and think, how can I influence Johnny, you know, who's just started two months ago working right next to me? How can I make sure that my habits that are good transfer to him? And how do I help him get rid of maybe some of those bad habits that we have? So once you have yourself dialed in, you can sort of focus on the next layer around you, right? The two techs working next to you. And within that, you also have to let your actions speak, right? If you're telling, telling Johnny next to you, hey, uh, make sure you're torquing drain plugs and well, torquing drain plugs might not be a great example, but let's, let's go with wheels. Torquing wheels down. Hey, Johnny, you better torque all those wheels down. And he sees you sending them home with, <laughs> with your impact gun. Um, Johnny knows that you're probably not going to be a very good leader. But if Johnny sees you click, click, click every single time, that shows to him how important that really is. So lead yourself make sure your actions speak. And then really the rest of it kind of takes care of itself in that next circle. And then in a perfect world, that just kind of onions out to your shop and then whatever stage you end up being at. Sure. You're setting the example. You're also setting the standard along the way. Exactly. Yeah. So what advice Charles would you give to a team member who a feels stuck in a career rut and or B has lost their passion, right? I mean, I think that's, critical, obviously having passion with what you do and loving what you do. What advice would you give a team member who falls into one or maybe both of those categories? That is an awesome question. And what I can first tell you is I totally understand. I totally been there. There was a time where I was like, man, maybe it's time to just hang it up, right? And go, go do something else. And what worked for me might not work for anybody else. It might work for everybody else. But I think the point is you have to find, it sounds so corny when I say it out loud, but you have to find like your point or your purpose for what you're doing, right? My thing was I was, you know, a, a, a twinge away from becoming a master technician, like one class away for five years because they kept changing the game on me. And becoming a master technician was something that was like my goal from day one. So every year it's like, okay, one more class. Nope, we're changing the game. Okay, next year, one more class. Nope, we're changing the game. And so, like, it was frustrating, and I was irritated, and then, like, I'm sure it influenced my production. I'm sure it influenced my work. Um, I like to think it didn't influence my quality of work, but, I mean, if we're honest, it, it probably did in some capacity. When I finally got that master technician thing, I was really excited, and I thought, man, this is going to be the thing that, like, resets my frustration and kind of lack of passion and lack of motivation. Uh, and what's wild 
is it didn't. It didn't change anything. I thought for sure this would fix my problem, right? And it, it didn't. In some ways it was worse, I guess, because I had that expectation that it would. So I then thought, okay, that didn't fix it. Something's got to fix it. Something, something has to be different. So I started to look at the overall picture of what I did and what were the things that I got the most joy out of. Se- separate all the stuff that's like, I don't like doing this or I don't like doing that. Like take all that away. What are the couple of things that really bring me the most joy? Like whether it's pride or a sense of victory, whatever it is. And let's take those and focus on those. So what did it for me? As I'm saying, I'm sure like this is not going to be a normal technician thing, but whatever your thing is, just focus on that was really like customers focusing on customers, being a hero to the customer that is relying on you for all of their things in their life, right? It's so easy as a technician to lose sight of the fact that like we know how to fix cars. So if our car is broken, we just fix it, right? But that's not the average person. So they're coming to you. They're coming to you for your expertise and your knowledge and your skill set. And think about how many people's life is disrupted when their car is broken. Sure. Right. I, when we, I'm sure you guys have seen too, like customers in their car broke down in tears, kid crying, like can't take grandma to the doctor, whatever the story yeah. was. It's often not the price. Started, and, and, and Charles, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but it, you know, it's, it, it, it's often not the price that they're upset about. Right. I mean, the, the objection is usually time convenience, something along those lines. A hundred percent. I mean, the price is usually not often either, but it's, it's the disruption of, their life that is problematic. And I started to focus on, okay, how can I make sure that what I'm doing shines through to the customer? And man, it was like a switch. As soon as I started to really focus on that and remembering like, Hey, on the other side of this car that just kicked my butt for three days on the diagnosis or that rusted bolt. I mean, I live in North Carolina, so we don't deal with too much rust, thankfully, but you know, that, that stuck fastener or the, the thing that won't come out or whatever it is on the other side of that is someone that's livelihood is relying on me getting this done. And for some people that's a pressure that they don't want. For me, that was a huge motivator because I didn't want to let that customer down. And then it got to the point where like I would see customers and I would, I, I would be excited when someone came in and like, Oh, Hey, Mrs. Jones, how are you doing? It's great to see you. And that for me really was the thing that got me back, got my head back in the game. And if that's not for you, that's awesome. Like I said, that's not for everybody, but maybe it's finding that using a a diagnostic oscilloscope is your thing. And you focus all in on that or what it, like it doesn't matter what it is. It's just important that you find the thing that works for you. So you're, you're speaking to a culture is what you're, what you're speaking to. That's what I'm hearing. It's good culture, good culture. How are we behaving? How are we treating team members? How are we treating guests, right? I mean, you, you, the whole idea, the whole premise of the humble mechanic, you, you said it started off with, hey, eat some humble pie, right? And I tell you, personally, humble pie sounds a lot, lot better than eating crow. I, I can tell you that. So, <laughs> I, you know, I've had to eat a little bit of both. And I can tell you, humble pie, if you do it on your own, is, is a lot better than eating crow. On that note, talking about culture, you know, some say that the car culture, you know, the automotive industry in general, is significantly less prevalent 
among the youth of today than it has been for past generations. So obviously, without digressing into a history of the United States, you know, 1950s, 1960s, hot rod era, right? I mean, where everything was car, car, car. But now that culture is kind of waning, right? And it's threatening the long-term health of the industry, some would argue. So what can the average Joe that's in the industry So whether it's technicians, service riders, franchisees that own automotive shops, or maybe they own their own business, whatever, what can the average Joe do to help attract new generations of talented individuals to the automotive industry? Man, if I had the like black and white answer for that, I'd be on a Charles private Island right about now, (laughs) enjoying, enjoying drinks on the beach. Um, you know, that's, that is such a challenging thing the culture's different, right? When I was, when I got my driver's license, having your driver's license was your ticket to freedom. It was a ticket to see your friends without having to ask mom for a ride or walking three miles to your buddy's house or whatever. Right. That's different today. We're so well connected on the devices that we have with people locally and around the globe that you don't need four wheels to hang out with your friends. And so while the culture is different, there's still a lot of young people that are into cars. There really are. And I think the biggest thing, you know, especially looking at like the bigger picture shop owners and stuff like that is being involved in the community, right? Sponsoring that, that little Johnny's baseball team or what, whatever, like other kids. <laughs> I can just picture like the ice cream store with the picture of the baseball team on the wall. Um, whatever things local you can do, host local car care clinics for people to learn. I mean, something as simple as how to check their oil gets people interested and involved, right? Give them some bit of knowledge that'll help them empower themselves to not always bring it into the shop. Like maybe they don't need to bring it in to top their tires off. Maybe that's something we can teach people how to do. You know, if you got a kid in the neighborhood that's always walking by while you got your garage open working on your car, invite little Stevie over and be like, hey, Stevie, here's what I'm doing, right? Isn't this cool? Um, you know, I think back to when I was a kid and you'd see like a really slick car drive by, and, you know, eyeballs pop out of your head, jaw drops and try and find those kids, man. And like, let them look at your car. I don't know. Let them sit in it if they're not going to tear it up too bad. <laughs> I think the big thing though is really involvement get these kids involved show them show them how to do stuff even if it's simple stuff to us right checking the oil is something i think every driver should know how to do period but let's be honest a lot of people don't and that's okay but let's change that i mean heck most of the the, bunch of new cars now you don't even have to open the hood to check the oil just hit three or four buttons and it pulls Charles, you're bringing back some memories when you talked about, you know, when you turned 16 or when it was of age to get your driver's license. I mean, for me, it was the same way. I mean, that was freedom. And now, as you mentioned, freedom is really just found in the devices that we have uh, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, So it's it's interesting that you say that, but completely agree with you there. Charles, what would you say to someone who feels like it's not their job to invest in and pour knowledge into their teammates? Or maybe to those that feel that they have nothing to offer due to their age, position, experience, or what have you? I'm going to hit to the second part of that question first. And it doesn't matter your age or your experience level. You have something unique that you bring to the table that nobody else does. Love it. What that is. I don't know, but you have something different for me. When I very first started in case I didn't hit on it hard enough at the beginning, I had no idea what I was doing. No clue. Clueless. No idea. 
when it came to fixing cars. However, the thing I did know how to do, which is probably makes sense of like my full automotive uh, career cycle, is I knew that I wasn't scared to talk to a customer. So how did I set myself apart from other guys that were much better technicians? I would just talk to my customers. Hey, Mrs. Jones, how are you doing today? I'm going to go change the oil in your Passat, right? Whatever it was. And people love that. People want to get to know their technician. And it worked out great for me. I didn't have anything to lend for <laughs> as far as like fixing cars experience, but I had that. And that weirdly began to shift the whole culture of the dealer I worked at because people would see me doing it. And then they're like, wow, this guy's like making good hours and he's talking to customers. It's, maybe it's not a waste of time mm-hmm. to talk to someone from now and again. And then I think the thing that really put that, hit that home was I would, I was, you know, six months in, eight months in, and I had like five people, six people that would only let me work on their car. So I was like, holy crap, this guy's like running his own little Volkswagen store out of his bay, which was always kind of my mindset. Um, you know, the not my job thing is easy and hard. I think of it like the tool room, the special tool room that we had at the dealership. And yeah, it wasn't your job to clean it, but it was to your benefit for it to be clean. Sure. And so while yeah, nobody wants to spend the day cleaning the tool room, nobody wants to spend the day looking for a special tool. So there's that side of it, right? You don't get paid if you're on flat rate to clean your bay, but isn't it easier to work in a clean bay? When it comes to people that work around you, it's very simple to me. Do you want someone good working next to you or do you want someone not good working next to you? I could do a pretty good job on my own. However, it was always nice to know that the guy working next to me was smart. And if I got stuck, we could brainstorm or maybe they seen something that I'd never seen. You know, it's so interesting to follow like problems throughout the country and how Northwest sees different issues than Southeast. But even within the building, like Dan across the hall might see three of a failure that I've never seen before. Right. And so to have that knowledge bank to draw on is incredibly valuable. Not to mention, do you want to be the good technician in a shop full of technicians that aren't? Or do you want to be a good technician in a shop full of other good technicians? I always wanted to be good in a shop of good instead of good in a shop of bad. Right. Because the good in the shop of bad is going to drag you down too. So exactly. And you're growing you because wanna, you're... You, you want that bank of knowledge. You want that reputation for your building, not just for you. And man, oh man, it's nice when the guy next to you is as smart or smarter than you are because now you've got yet another lifeline to give yourself. Of course. And that's how you're growing. That's how you're developing. You know, you talked about being different. You know, th- what, th- there's something different that every one of us has. You know, and, and as you mentioned, we don't know what it is sometimes, but there's something and so find that different. And then when, we're, when we find that different, we can recognize, hey, I have the ability to influence those around me. And then ultimately, I have the ability to affect change because I can be, be influential. So, Charles, on that note, as you know, the theme for this year's convention is affecting change. So I'm going to ask you, what are some practical steps that we can take to affect change around us? Step one is make sure that you're doing it too, right? If you want something to change, it can't just be lip service to the world saying, I want this to change. You first need to put it in practice yourself. 
and live by that, right? Whatever, whatever that change is, you have to make sure that you've implemented it before you say a word or, or anything to anyone. And then start in your small circle and work your way out. Focus on the two people that work next to you. Focus on your advisor. Focus on that one parts person that you always talk to or deal with and work your way out from there and make sure that you're committed to it. Uh, beyond that, like most people aren't going to be able to change the world in a day, but boy, oh boy, how life changing is it to change the three people around you when you're working with these people, like as much as you see your family, right? Imagine working next to two people you don't like all day long and how much better it would be if you work next to two people that you may not be best friends, but at least you have respect for each other professionally. That is life changing for you. And let's, let's not mince words. I'll take life changing for me over nothing. That's awesome, Charles. And it is so true. When, when, when you begin to affect change around you, uh, there's a multiplication effect that happens. It multiplies back to you, but it multiplies back to others. And then all of a sudden they're impacting people and they're impacting people. And then all of a sudden you've changed the culture before you know it, just because you simply said yes. So Charles, just wrapping up the interview, how can our audience follow you and get to know more about you? Yeah, for sure. One, one thing I want to add on that change, and this is also probably as important, understand that not everybody's going to be on board with you. Don't let that discourage you or throw you off your mission. Very good. Like, everyone's not going to be about it. Don't, like, that's fine. They don't have to be. Don't let that influence you and knock you off your, off your path. We're all on different points in our path, whatever that may be for you. So don't let someone else's unwillingness to participate disrupt you from your goal. Uh, okay, how to follow me or get to know me is super duper easy. You can swing over to humblemechanic.com and uh, that is my website or basically wherever you are on the internet. Uh, if you just search Humble Mechanic, you'll probably find me. Well, that's awesome, Charles. I know our audience will look forward to following you and, and we're just uh, so honored and glad that, that you came on the show. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. It's been a blast. And, uh, yeah, thanks a lot. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Charles. Well, that was an exciting episode. You know, at, at the beginning, we promised you that you would leave here better than you were before. And I believe if you've listened to it through, you're leaving better than you were before. A lot of key takeaways, a lot of nuggets that we can all apply in our de- everyday life. As always, before we leave, uh, I'd like to leave you with these encouraging words from James chapter 4, verse 6. It says, God gives favor to the humble. So I, I don't I couldn't think of anything more appropriate to share than that as we're talking to the humble mechanic that as we're humble people, as we're servant leaders and, and we serve those around us and, and keep a humble heart, God promises he'll crown you with favor. So until next time I'm Josh Hitchcock reminding you to keep leading well.